Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he bows to no one, it's Arturo Zurita. That's actually what I should have put. Are you a Kong man? Are you a Godzilla man, Zach? We actually Uh, have not had this discussion. You know, I, this is like a sensitive subject in my household, but I, I am a little more of a Kong person, if I must say so myself. I, I, I relate to other primates, other mammals. I that's, It's just how I empathize. I, I Maybe it's a tribalistic instinct in me, but I, I feel like from your expression, you might be you might be more of a Godzilla lady. What's a king to a god? Like, it's not even close. It's, it's not a... I'm not in this for like fighting prowess or superiority i'm in this for like who who i feel like i hang, could hang out with who i could feel like you'd I could go down to go hollow earth with relax kong. with share a banana with you know yeah i would love to go hang out in hollow earth with kong I don't, I don't know where godzilla lives i think it's somewhere under the sea but wherever I'm not he wants really it's godzilla there. it's he can go wherever I he guess. wants i guess uh in a little bit we will talk godzilla, godzilla versus kong, kong. And the best movies of the first three months of 2021. But first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on youtube.com slash intercutpod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at intercutpod. That's intercut, P-O-D, and that's short for podcast. Also, be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. It makes me happier than one of the characters in a movie says the name of the movie. You know, it turns me into the leader... Cardi- Leo DiCaprio meme, the Leo whatever DiCardo. that happens. So, yeah, the Leo, the Leo DiCardo meme. <laughs> Shout out to Wake Up Writing for leaving a five star review. Thank you. Writing, wish Amanda was on every episode. Love these three. You know, Amanda's a busy person doing a lot of awesome things. We're just happy that she's able to come and hang out with us some of the time, but we'll hope you enjoy hanging out with us in between and have some fun when she's on uh, the next time as well. But why don't we get right into it? Let's start the show the way we started every week here with what we're watching. Art, let me ask you, can there be two Alpha Titans? No. And I think that that was clear by this movie that has a definitive winner. Won't go into spoilers here because I don't know how many people have been able to see it. You saw it on HBO, right? Uh, along with everybody or mo- yeah. most of the other people have seen it. There have been the, the showtimes have sold out like crazy. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I've seen some showtimes where it's like there will at least be one other person in there. And my thing isn't even like you can be fully vaccinated. You can be fully everything. You cannot go back to the theaters during allergy season. It does not matter if you're immune. It does not matter if your blood can defeat COVID-19 when it comes in. The looks that you will get, there will be another brawl in the theater if you're in there with somebody else sniffling and sneezing. This is a movie that I would have given a combo price to, dude. The oh, the the visual effects, the sound effects, all that stuff. I've been up and down with Adam Wingard for a while. I'm a big fan of what he yeah. did with the guest. I know a lot of people are split on your next. I enjoy it. I I don't think a lot of people were fans of Death Note. So when it came to adaptations, you know, people were like, eh, very iffy on it. Same thing with, uh, what was the other one you did? Blair Witch. I did not enjoy Blair Witch. But I did enjoy what he did with Godzilla and Kong. Uh, I had a great time with it. Yeah, it's been interesting because he he is this guy who developed a reputation for these lower budget horror thriller kind of movies. And 
I think people were really excited for him to be one of these guys who, who got plucked into the studio system and was given these bigger budgets. And it's been a little bit of a rocky start to his like big budget career, but he keeps getting shots. And I, I don't know, I think at least in this one, like there's the, the understood the assignment meme going around right now. And this is a movie that understands the assignment. You know, it, it's, it's not high art. The dialogue is extremely cheesy, but in the way that I think you want from these movies, I, I really love the way that Rebecca Hall leans into some of these stupid things she's supposed to say. But, like, ultimately, the effects deliver the kind of spectacle that you want from a movie called Godzilla vs. Kong. You know, there, when you see Kong jump with, like, axe in hand coming at Godzilla. There's just something viscerally thrilling about that. And, yeah, it's not a movie that's going to, like, change your life or make you think differently about other things. It's not a movie that's even really going to surprise you, I would say. But it's it's pretty enjoyable on just the, the you know, show me Popcorn things that I can't see elsewhere. You know, yeah, the, the big type of blockbuster that is particularly we have gotten so few of in the last year or so. So were you happy with the results? You want a rematch? <laughs> what are you looking forward to? Do you think that Toho I, should come in and extend that contract? I I think that, you know, ultimately the, the, the scales were not really ever really that fair. There's a lot of nah, like... Nah, nah, um, nah, nah. It was a clean you know, fight. I, you know, fighting in the middle of the ocean is is difficult, and then there's all the pressure from the I, I don't uh, know getting assists from the humans Kong. sometimes doesn't necessarily the, uh, the humans count. aren't really assisting anybody. The uh. humans are, are definitely not helping much here, and, and yet they keep trying. That's the thing I d- never understand about these movies. How how many missiles do you fire at Godzilla before you're like you, you know what? Not really helping. <laughs> this isn't helping anybody, and we're probably wasting a lot of money in the process. Yeah, it it's fun. I didn't really have that much invested in who won either way. I I think Godzilla. Uh, I actually think Kong won the movie in terms of memes. So that's what I care about, right? In this I will matchup. agree with you, Kong. I don't know how much more spoilers. I feel like if people have wanted to see it, they've already been able to see it because it is online. But it is definitely mm-hmm. that movie where while they does choose a definitive winner, and it's been interesting to see people argue about it because the original has been divisive. To a lot of Japanese fans, they feel that somebody won that fight. Then the way that it's kind of cut up for America, they felt somebody else won that fight. And there's this whole history rooted in, you know, the property of Godzilla with Toho and then obviously with King Kong. But while one is definitely the winner in the movie, the other one gets more scenes. The other one has mm-hmm. the heart of the story. So it was an interesting decision that they that they decided to go with there. Again, because Toho's contract is up with Legendary. So I know they want to continue this series. I know that they want to bring in a lot of other monsters. I hope they do. Mm-hmm. But if this is the finale, I think at least it goes out with a bang. And, you know, there's a clear appetite for these movies, a surprising appetite in some ways in that Godzilla vs. Kong pulled in $350 million globally. It also pulled in $69.5 million domestically over its opening weekend, $10 million more than Tenant uh, took in last year, despite the movie being available on on HBO. HBO Max. When people ask us, are are theaters dead? And I'm like, I don't think, I mean, we're... (laughs) Some of the business decisions that are being made really hurt, but people will always want to go. They will always want to go. Yeah, and especially a movie like Godzilla vs. Kong, 
I, I think people know that if that's an experience that you care about, you want to see that on the big screen. Which is also a bad you know, thing. I don't have that. What do you mean? If studios see that this is the movie that's making more than the, I don't know, the horror film that also came out alongside The Weeknd. Right? I don't. Even, yeah. I can't even remember the name of it. Right, But even then, that's a horror movie. We know horror movies will always be released no matter what. But if they're seeing that, ah, Godzilla, the movie that has this much effects, that has all these different things, that pushes what you and I said at the beginning uh, of it all, which is at the end of this, theaters will still be open, but it's going to be the chains. Uh, theaters will still be open but what they're showing aren't the independent movies they're going straight to streaming so as much as I love Godzilla versus King Kong and I want to see it in a theater its success is a good thing for the blockbusters at the end of the day you know yeah yeah and, and I don't know if a movie that I, I'm more interested in seeing in a theater you know maybe that's a, maybe that's like a nomad land or something you know uh, they ain't even release those numbers the same way exactly uh, by with a simultaneous streaming and and theaters release so but these movies that do bring a lot of people out I think will continue to because yeah, it'll always be there the best way to see it if that's what you care about and, and also I think there is for some people just this hunger to get back into theaters because for so many people it hasn't been an option for so long so I'm curious to see what the rest of 2021's box office results uh, look like, and it's particularly these movies that do get released on HBO Max simultaneously as they're in theaters. But yeah, the theatrical options are dwindling. Uh, something that took over Twitter briefly is the closing of the famous Arclight Cinemas in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. Arclight also in charge of the uh, Cinerama Dome, the very iconic-looking uh, theater that is, you know, sh- is showcased in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of the many iconic Hollywood sites. So, uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on, on those theaters closing and what the, you know, eulogizing on film Twitter uh, has has been like. Um, well, have you ever been? Uh, yeah, I've been to ArcLight when I was in LA. What'd you watch? Uh, I think that the last thing that I saw there was like the Oscar shorts. Just that was the Ooh. season that I was last in LA. But uh, yeah, it, I, honestly, it's a little bit of a blur to me. Do you remember? Yeah, it was I, whatever Sundance it was. Right before we went to Sundance, we saw Glass there. Oh, uh, so, oh nice, yeah. Nice, so nice. that would have been the last one that I saw, and it was. Yeah, it's a beautiful theater. It's fantastic. And I think Arclight itself is a very nice chain. They keep their theaters very clean. Expensive? Yes. But they have a prime picture quality. I was able to also catch my rewatches of Parasite and uh, Portrait at the one that we have here in Chicago. That's wow. why it sucks. I believe you guys have one in New York, right? I think. I don't know if we do. Maybe we do. I, I, that'd, be, that'd be crazy. Have, I haven't been like, I, I can't. I can't. I don't remember it, but I feel like how could New York not have one? I think it's a really big blow. I know that they're waiting to see if somebody else is going to pick it up. Another theater that also really hurts for me is the Navy Pier Theater. I can't remember who owned it at the beginning of it when it opened, I want to say 80s, 90s. But I know a couple of years ago, AMC bought it. They fixed it up. And that was a beauty. That is true IMAX here over uh, over here in the city. And it shut down, obviously, because of the, a lot of the stuff that's been closed and Navy Pier still isn't open. But my biggest worry is with all of these theaters that are there, I don't think the dome is going anywhere. But I know they want to build a yeah. shop in Navy Pier, which means that theater is gone, which means nobody else can buy it. And that's one of the biggest worries. Uh, you know, these theaters, if you've been around for a long time and, you know, we're having this discussion now, we'll be having this discussion 10 years, 20 years from now. Sadly, that's just the way that business goes, that these theaters will be there. They'll just be owned by different companies. I just hope that the buildings still remain. 
and I hope that it goes to someone who cares about it. Because I know that's been the big debate is, will a person pick it up? Will a Netflix pick it up? Will a company pick it up? Right. I don't know if you have a preference, if you're rooting for something. <laughs> well, there, there's the sentiment going around on on film Twitter, at least, that all these filmmakers are, are sure. expressing their sadness about it, including <laughs> a money. guy who just got apparently $100 million from Netflix to make Knives Out 2 and 3. So It'd be nice if, if Ryan Johnson could make some kind of investment to save uh, the Cinerama or, or, or something like that. In all likelihood, it's probably going to be Amazon or Netflix who picks this up. And, you know, they are operating uh, the Paris Theater in New York right now. And I'm thankful that they were able to keep it alive when a lot of people thought that theater was going to close. Yet, you know, all they're showing are are Netflix movies. Right now they're showing, you know, Trial of the Chicago 7. It's like, I I don't know. It would Um, be cool to see a group of filmmakers. Yeah, I, I I just think that would be like a worthy investment for people who who want to support this iconic theater. Uh, the thing, though, that it, it makes me think about is there are all these options in L.A. Like, that's one of the things that's wonderful about being in L.A. Yeah. If you are a person who loves movies is they have all these repertory uh, theaters and places like that. But it feels like elsewhere in the country, all those places are starting to dwindle out and and. You know, it sucks that even in the the heart of the film industry, it's getting worse. But for the people on the peripheries, the theatrical experience is becoming more and more difficult to to come by, particularly outside of something like an AMC, which, as we we know from experience, is not as dedicated to showing you a a high quality product as a place like the Arclight. So uh, not only are we potentially losing access to like indie cinema or whatever but we also might be losing access to pristine quality and good projection and sound that's properly calibrated i see what you mean now yes 100 percent. that's the biggest problem when you get when you get to a corporation is that they know you're just going to be there you're going to come in no matter what both you and i have been to these theaters where they do not care for the quality to be the best that it could but damn wouldn't it be nice seeing that drama that happened with tarantino and disney fighting over the what the the one um cinerama the, the dome itself because there's only two theaters there i believe uh at that arc light yeah. and how he couldn't get it because disney blocked it out for star wars it'd be great if he just mm-hmm. bought it he already bought the beverly buy this one as well it would be really right. cool but yeah we'll see we'll see man What's we'll that? see we'll see uh, another movie that made its return to theaters and I believe is available on VOD already uh, is Nobody. I, I know you talked a little bit about this movie in your new Let Me Explain video, the action film starring Bob Odenkirk as a uh, retired guy turned John Wick you know, activated killer again. Turned John Wick. We could put, we could call it for what it is. Did you? You know, I, I know you like this one. Uh, how how much do you like this in the hierarchy? of these new age, middle-aged action man movies. You know, we, we have where Taken's, we have where John Wick's. Is this is this in the center? Is this low? Is this high? What do you think? Uh, it, it's, it's good center. I'd say it's pretty good center. Yeah. It's not as low as what the Bruce Willis movies that have been coming out uh, of, of the last five years. Uh, you could definitely tell that there's a lot of heart in it. You know, he trained himself for it, and I think that's one of the more enjoyable aspects of it. While it's not as, you know, crazily creative um, compared to some of the other uh, 
choreography that we've seen in films or even the lore. It is the first one of what I feel may be a franchise considering, you know, these mm. are the same people who did the John Wick series in terms of the writing. Um, the dude who did Hardcore Henry is the director here. So it's like, it's your fun popcorn action flick. You go, you watch it, you have a good time with it. <laughs> By the end of the year, you'll be like, oh, that's right. Nobody did come out earlier in the year. You don't really forget yeah. about it, but it's one of those ones that you enjoyed it while you were watching it. Uh, and I could see them extending it. But um, I'd be interested to see where else they could take this lore, how they'd be crossing over with, uh, I guess, other people, depending on how much um, they're able to expand on it. But yeah, did you catch the screening link? I did. I did. I, I thought it was enjoyable. You know, I really like Bob Odenkirk, and I think he does bring a certain charm to these types of roles. He's become quite a good actor. He's dope, uh, dude. especially with age. And, and he's just, you know, he's like a really interesting screen presence. I think he really gives you. The, the right energy for this guy who kind of ha- like is is having that sort of midlife crisis in terms of he he's not the person he remembers himself to be yep. um I, I, you know the action is fun i don't know if it's quite as hard hitting uh, <laughs> as a john wick in certain ways because you can kind of I think you can see the ways in which it's choreographed, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, it doesn't feel as seamless as maybe some other action movies. For sure. But it, it, in a lot of the ways that I found Godzilla vs. Kong to be fun, I found this to be really fun in that it just delivers you, like, a high-quality, inventive action experience. It's one of the... It, it, it's almost like... I like when a movie can do the kind of Jackie Chan thing of I'm just going to use the environment around me to to hi- highlight what badass things I can do instead of just doing the same three things over and over again, you know? And I, I think when this movie gets inventive, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hurt himself. That's one of the things. He's like, I, I wanted to get hurt. I wanted to do all these different things. And he says he wants to make it into a comedy. Like, I know this one was a little bit more on the drama, but he wants to do that type of Jackie Chan where it's not just action, it's action comedy. Uh, he said, he said yeah. Liam Neeson called him up and was like, hey, I got to retire, man. You got to take it from me. <laughs> so I was like, all right, Bob, time for you to step up. Yeah, yeah I'd be interested to see more. Yeah, and it would be really cool if we get some kind of, like, Expendables team-up movie with Keanu and Charlize That'd be and dope, whoever dude. else they want to bring Yo, into this and they this said Mary John Elizabeth Winstead. She's also training with the same people for another movie that's going to be coming out on Netflix, so let's go. Yeah, yeah, could, could be the next team-up movie. And just briefly, I, I wanted to mention Thunder Force since it's a movie and it is out on Netflix. Dope. Probably a lot of people are going to see it. Uh, you know, I I defended. I'm already forgetting the super intelligent name of the last movie that she did. Super intelligent. Yeah, you did do um, that. Uh, I, I defended that one when it dropped on HBO Max because it it's relatively charming and harmless and has a couple laughs in it, but you know. That to me was like absolutely the best that the Melissa Ben, the Melissa McCarthy Ben Falcone team up has brought us, and and this is like a really great example of why it is such such a weight on the American studio comedy because it, this is just such a leaden movie, absolutely barren for jokes, just waiting and hoping that somebody will do something genuinely funny and not just you know 
flail wildly hoping to land on something comedic it, it's such an underwhelming movie in terms of its approach to to trying to lampoon or or even play into this whole superhero narrative it just feels so lazy in the way that Ben Falcone directed comedies particularly feel lazy and like yeah sometimes that that'll leave you an idle laugh here or there the fact that jason bateman exists with lobster hands brings a level of charisma to this movie but it's very minimal and it just, it just leaves me thinking like how much better the world of comedy might be had melissa mccarthy just married phil lord or chris miller i'm doing like that damn bro okay look her and her husband, Ben, have made Tammy. They've made the boss. They made life of the party. Decent twist on that one. I ain't like super intelligence and out Thunder Force. Is it a great track record? But you see no. why? <laughs> you can see why I would think super intelligence might be the best of that bunch, though. Right? I see it, but, like, I wouldn't even use the word best. Like, I would just be like, it is a movie in the bunch. <laughs> it's a relative term. I agree with you with Thunder Force. I know that she did SNL, and literally this was just an old classic SNL sketch, sketch done to death. Because it takes place in Chicago, and it is just the same The Bears joke over and over again. It is the same, like, Chicago is a great city. And, look, I, I thought some of those jokes were pretty funny. You know, like, she has this moment where she's... She's arguing about how Chicago's number one and you guys just disrespect it. That's a, that, that's a very shy city thing to do. But it, it's literally that SNL sketch through and through because you're not talking about any other teams. It's just her just saying the Bears, the Shuffle. And it's like it's very stuck in that one moment and repeating that joke over and over waiting for those laughs. Um Oh, it's on Netflix. I can't it complain has the too same much. Lack of, it has the same lack of momentum that a lot of SNL skits have. Easily. In that they they just kind of enter a scene and, and wait for some funny line Get loud. to happen. <laughs> it was also very loud because we were watching this one at night and it's like a lot of the jokes rely on her screaming, which, sure, mm -hmm. more power to you. But you know when Apple says you could reduce the loud noises, the loud sounds? Yeah, I didn't really do much with that. So we had to finish watching it the next day. But yeah, it's a movie that is out and it being on streaming, I think is a much better place to enjoy it if you wanted to, because I definitely would have been more upset if I was at an AMC theater watching this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some movies are uh, are destined for streaming in that way. Uh, so that, that's what we've been watching lately. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments or you, you on YouTube or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. Let's get to even better movies uh, for our topic of the week, which is the best movies of 2020's first quarter. We made it three months into the new year. Crazy to think about mm -hmm. that we've all already gone through three months of movies, two big film festivals, a whole bunch of new releases. And, you know, 2021 so far has been an unexpectedly strong start. I think largely thanks to two things. One, we've talked about how a lot of movie theaters aren't open right now, so studios aren't able to kind of release their dumpuary movies in the hopes of just making some money. So we've been saved a few movies like that. And also the extension of the Academy Awards deadline to the end of February mm -hmm. has pushed a few Oscar contenders into this year. So we've had some of the movies that are nominated for Best Picture even released within the last three months. It's made for some really interesting movies. A few 
under the radar gems that we wanted to spotlight at some point. So uh, we're going to run through the 20 best movies of this year so far. And starting off, we got a tie at number 20 between Nobody, a movie we just spent a bunch of time on, and uh, another relatively new release, Happily, uh, a dark romantic comedy starring Carrie Bechet and Joel McHale uh, about a couple that have been married happily for years, but uh, get a mysterious visit from from a stranger that causes them to suspect one of their friends might be behind it. I thought this is a kind of uh, this is an interesting under the radar movie from Ben David Grabinski uh, that has. A lot of really funny moments, but also this very uh, sinister edge to it. It kind of feels like it, it it's constantly on the verge of tipping into a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I really like the dynamic between Carrie Bechet and Joel McHale. I like a lot of the supporting players in this movie. You have uh, Natalie Easy, Natalie Easy uh, Paul Shear, Stephen Root, Natalie Morales, Kirby Howell Baptiste, a bunch of people that I really like are, are in this movie. Uh, I, Art, I think you like this one as well, right? It's one of those where it's like it's difficult to recommend it because you know it's going to be a mixed bag type of movie where people are either going to yeah. want a little bit more from the plot or some people may have liked may have wanted a little bit more to, you know, the themes of what it's going for. I I really enjoyed the movie for like just a discussion because it's definitely uh one of those where it's not going to answer everything. It just wants to put a bunch of characters into a scenario where they all have to kind of just open up and go at it. Uh a more direct version of this would have been uh it's a netflix movie i believe i'm blinking what what it's called right now but uh it's like the dinner the party maybe? not even the overnight it's like the dinner party or something it's got a cell phone right in the middle i'm blanking on it but I'll, someone will probably know it in the comments we'll put it in the edit. it's on netflix i believe it may be a spanish film i know it's in a different language and it's dubbed and it's about all mm. these people who come in they all leave their phones and uh this dinner party ends up opening up everybody's like secrets and confessions and and they go at it. It's a, it's a, you know, like very tense drama of these friends. This is the same thing, but with like a almost supernatural element kind of going on with this couple who's so happy, way too happy. Nobody else is comfortable. Um, and kind of that relationship type story when it when you compare all the couples in one room and the different aspects mm-hmm. of them, uh, and what would happen if everybody's truth was out there? How would you confront that? Because it's like everybody also, also knows things about the other couples, but they never open yeah. up about it. Yeah, it's also just particularly hilarious that the central conceit of this movie is that their friends can't stand that they love each other. Which is funny. Like I, I love that. That's sort of like the the inciting incident of this movie. So yeah, uh, I'd say put it on your radar. Definitely, maybe more as a stream. I'm sure it's going to be available on a service very soon. But if you check out the trailer and you think it kind of interests you, give it a watch as a good little rental. Absolutely. Number nineteen is Zack Snyder's Justice League. It wasn't my vote that got it on here. <laughs> we have a whole list on this, by the way. We'll have the link down below. So this is just yeah. everything aggregated between uh, the ratings that we've done so far for these movies. I have a yeah. couple. I don't know. We're collaborating on, on this list. We have to. We have to make some exactly some sacrifices to our own our own uh, tastes. So by the halfway our... list, I think only four of these other than the twenty is going to be on there. But right, uh, right. Justice League is clearly one of the biggest ones that has been released. People loved this one way more compared to the original cut of it. Um, I don't totally. know what the end result ended up being for, you know, the conversions for HBO Max in terms of this movie, how the box office really did. I know the mm-hmm. supposedly consensus from Warner Bros. was they were not going to continue it. 
Good luck with that. The movement's going to go on forward anyways. I am curious to see them expand the story because as much as this fleshes out what we didn't get in the original theatrical cut, it's still only part one of three. So we're still missing a little bit here. Uh, So you finished the movie, but you haven't really finished the story. That's all I'll say about it. Yeah, somehow part one of three is four hours long. Well, well, and it's also BBS and Man of Steel. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Number 18 is uh, another movie that I think you liked a little bit more than I did. Malcolm and Marie. I hate like this movie. Writer-director Sam Levinson. There's a lot that's really interesting in this. When I reviewed it on Letterboxd, I said that I think this movie is full of really good and really bad writing. Because mm-hmm. there are parts of this movie that jump off the page and are riveting and monologues where the actors just are, are like it's like a whole charcuterie it's so meaty uh but it, it, there's also moments where you're kind of rolling your eyes at how like nakedly Sam Levinson is putting yeah. himself into this role what did you like about Malcolm and Marie I hated their performances in terms of I, I felt no chemistry between these two I think they're they're both really good actors they're gonna have long careers ahead of them I did not feel like they were a couple. I definitely felt like they were friends who really got along on set and were trying their hardest to take Levinson's script and do their own thing with it. I do think it's a lot more collaborative than a lot of critics have given it, I can, I guess, kind of merit for in thinking that it's just completely Levinson. It definitely is mostly Levinson. In part. Yes. Um, But what I like the most about it is how cringy it is. Surprisingly, the cringe of it is what makes yeah. it good. It's how he's wearing it all on his sleeve and it's embarrassing. And it makes you wonder like, yo, you probably should have done this as an interview. You know, vented it in an interview. That could have made that 90 yeah. minute long just vent session, but you made it into a movie instead. It could have been a great like profile in GQ or something. For sure. You know, but then he does the interview and people are like, what are you complaining about? Go, go, Put it in your art. So he puts it in his art, and then he's got it in his art. It's like, you know what? You should have done an interview. Go do the interview and it's going to be back forwards and backwards. I just love the verb of pulling a Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think every dude at some point has definitely been heard by their neighbors trying to explain to their partner about something and then just going on and on and on and on. Uh, but at a certain point, you realize that it really is just Sam Levinson complaining and you're like, yo, homie, <laughs> relax, take it easy. Uh, but I am curious to see what they do next. I'm more so kind of curious to see how... Zendaya when it comes to her producing because I think they're all producers on this mm-hmm. as well right. uh, and because it's self-funded let's see what the next project is let's see what else you can put out there that's not so much a vanity project which it is I don't think you can ignore that I think trying to pretend like it's something else other than that hurts the movie dive deep into that know what it is but then make something different on the next one because I think this was also a quarantine film that they did so yeah yeah, and, and, you know, I think there's a lot to like about what they got out of such a simple, you know, setup, mm-hmm. right? Two actors, one one location, basically, made in probably just a couple months, and it's it's compelling, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'll definitely give it credit for that. Number 17 is a movie that only you, uh, uh, the two of us, have seen. It's Breaking Fast, which we caught, or you caught back at New Fest. 
uh, late last year yes, about Mo, a practicing Muslim living West Hollywood, who is navigating life post heartbreak when he meets a guy who wants to break fast with him during the month of Ramadan. Uh, like I said, we've seen it a few months ago, and you can go back to that video for a fuller thing. But Art, what stuck with you months after seeing Breaking Fast? Just a cute little rom-com uh, while at the same time just juggling different perspectives that's the beauty of it because it's not just a gay man in america it's a gay muslim man so it's not just you know um the culture within his own you know ethnicity it's also an entire religion and i love just the different conversations that they're able to have into uh within the movie uh and i thought it was quite enjoyable i'm very curious to hear your thoughts uh and how you re- what you think about the characters too yeah i think i still have a link to this so i'll, I'll, I'll hopefully have to catch so up, especially now that it made our list Number 16 is I care a lot. Did the you finally catch it? Winning. I I have Bro, caught it. Come I, I, on. I, yeah, yeah. Maybe you know, maybe I'll I'll catch it and leave like a little 30 seconds in the uh, in the edit here of what my thoughts were. But I'm curious to I'm curious to check it out. You you've told me a lot of interesting things about it. Yes, it's a very ugly movie, but you can't you can but if like if that's what it's trying to be, can you fully hate it for that? You know, it's trying to put a, a, a mirror into your face and be like, oh, you think these are ugly? Yeah. Well, you praise all these other movies that do it and such. And again, I still have so many problems with the script. But as we covered uh, in LME streams, that there was a, a certain point where I'm, I was rewatching it, right, to see those problems in the script. And they're still there. Right. But that causes you to look closer into the script and you see what he's trying to do. She won the award for it. I think she get I think they all give great performances there's a scene with Chris Messina in this movie. It's so good. There are moments yeah. in this film that make it like damn near close to film that would have been in the top 10. Uh, I don't know, top 10, but one of the top films of the year. Mm-hmm. But what it doesn't realize is that while people love Wolf of Wall Street, Wolf of Wall Street does this thing where it doesn't show you the people who he's hurting. Here, I think... And he does it on purpose, a director. He wants you to see how ugly it is. And he kind of looks at you and he goes, yeah... I know you're offended at home that she's doing these things to the elderly, but what are you doing about it? And while you think that that's pretty big, you then go, well, I'm not winning Golden Globes for it for sure. That's what I'm not doing. <laughs> so there is that. I'm still curious about this one. I, I I've, heard, have a I've heard a lot you, of different opinions on it. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll get into it. Uh, one that we have talked about on Intercut is our number 15 pick, Our Friend, uh, about uh, a couple that finds out that uh, she's been diagnosed with terminal cancer and then they get one of their friends to move in and help support them through it. Uh, I think it's got really excellent performances from Jason Siegel, Casey Affleck, and uh, Dakota Johnson. Uh, I know you like this one a little bit more than I did, but it's affecting and definitely I think one of the more heartfelt movies that we've gotten so far through 2021. Man, this is the one I would have seen at Evanston Cinemark. Rest in peace, right. it closed down. <laughs> so now people can stream it at home and hopefully it gets a good little streaming release. I think that it is a decent drama based on a true story. If anything, we also discussed how the uh, the journalist himself, when he wrote about this uh, story between him and his yeah. wife, um, his writing is just so much more effective than what the movie tries to portray. And again, that's just because of maybe how prolific these actors were. And if they weren't as prolific, it would have been uh, maybe a little bit better. But at the same time, Jason Siegel is the best part of the movie. I think he brings in a charm that we've yes. known Jason Siegel for. And he definitely is going to be, I think, even funnier the older he gets. Because he kind of just has that grandpa, older uncle humor to him. 
And that is literally everything that he dives into in this movie. But I enjoyed it. It's it's sad. <laughs> it's a sad movie, but almost kind of feel good. Uh, at the same time, I would recommend, though, like we talked, The Climb. If you want a movie that's kind of similar to this but yeah. done extremely better, The Climb. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's aspects of the movie that The Climb maybe does a little bit better. And there's aspects of this movie that I think are also you know, going to resonate with people who maybe feel like they've gone through something similar. I just don't know if it's the most unique telling of this kind of story. That's fair. At number 14, we've got to all the boys <laughs> always and forever. There's an algorithm Art, thing I, here, bro. This is an algorithm thing where it ends up up here. I, okay. It's got two votes. Not one of them is from me. Uh, so you got to explain to me how, how this movie made it to 14. Um, the algorithm, but also it's cute. Uh, I don't think any of the, of, out of the trilogy, the first one I still think is the best. Then I'd say it's this yeah, one. I really like the first then one. Then there's the middle one. I thought it was a cute little trilogy. Uh, I like how they were able to become a hit through Netflix. It showcased a lot of uh, the potential that you can have with these movies. I mean, talking earlier with theaters, this is proof that an entire franchise can be released and be super, super successful in every way, shape, and form from its marketing to its merch. There's one interesting thing I will say about this because I'm not going to talk about the story. We made a whole video on it. Definitely go check that out. They're doing this thing where the entire set design you may consider this ugly, Zach, but they do the set design so that you can purchase it, which obviously has always been done. But like the entire point of how her room is constructed and everything that she wears is so you can buy it. And I don't know if you know this, but I know YouTube, mm. Amazon has been pushing it as well for Prime, but YouTube's also been pushing it, matter of time till Netflix gets it, where you can pause and point to anything that's on the screen in her room, what she's wearing, and you will be able to purchase it. Yeah. Which means what starts changing in production. I mean, the art direction at the very <laughs> least, but you know, I'm surprised this movie isn't streaming on prime, not Netflix. If, if that's one of the considerations, I mean, at this it. point it's, it's, it's like a thing where uh, you'll just have GQ run the article of like, get her yeah. clothing. Here's all the target collection that you can get from there. But I definitely see that as being one of the biggest things that it's going to be pushing we will be in a future youtube's rolling it out i know i keep getting the notifications on how they're pushing that and where you'll be able to pause the screen and kind of do the x-ray thing where you can click on anything so uh maybe it was way way ahead of its time zach and that's why it's number 14 <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's predicting the future of entertainment I, and consumerism I guess that's a good argument uh, Raya. number 13 is a movie it's a movie that I liked more than you. There you go. Raya and the Last Dragon. We we talked about this on a previous intercut, so I don't think we need to get too deep into it. But it's it's an enjoyable, cute adventure story. Uh, you know, there there have been comparisons to other uh, movies and TV shows that, you know, some are more legitimate than others. But, like, I, I like the lore behind it. I like the different the, – the, different characters that we meet along the way. I think there's a lot of really good vocal performances here. I like Aquafina a lot more than you do in this role. I, I just think it's 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 enjoyable. It's not anything that's like uh top tier Disney animated studios, but it, it was a good time and something that I think that kids would really enjoy too. So like beautiful good action. Yeah, yeah. 
Number 12 is Akasa My Home. One of the documentaries we've brought up a lot on this podcast Beautiful. since I think I first caught it at Sundance uh, about a family that lives in the Bucharest Delta and what it's like when the government forces them out of their homes. You know, there's so many different things about this documentary that stand out from the absolutely exquisite cinematography to the the really like gut-wrenching story it tells of these uh children who are 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 removed from the lives they knew and thrust into a society they don't understand i think there's a lot of levels to this piece uh, i'm hoping more people catch up with it because i haven't heard a lot of people talk about it just you and me man we we are the ones holding down the fort for a casa my home if you like nomad land you should be watching a casa my home that's what i'll say you should definitely be catching a casa my home Fair argument. Number 11 is Little Fish, uh, about a couple that tries to hold their relationship together as a memory loss virus spreads and threatens humanity. Cute uh, romantic comedy set in like a sci-fi world starring Olivia Cook and Jack O'Connell, two up-and-coming actors who I like quite a bit. And I think, you know, they've got their kind of like notebook-ish movie on their, their rise up because a lot of these young actors get some kind of romance on the way up. And I, I think this is a, one of the one of the better ones that I've seen of these, you know, somewhat low-budget uh, romance movies, I think largely because the the world is, is so interesting around them mm-hmm. that, th- you know, this movie is holding the weight of two different stories and it doesn't, I think it does both of those stories a uh, service along the way. Decent. And shout out to Apples, the other movie that we also caught during the festival run. Yeah, whenever that one is, is going to be available. I'm excited for more people to catch All it. All right, let's, let's see our top 10 here based on this rating algorithm. Future Zach breaking into the podcast for just a minute here. We'll get back to the list shortly, but if you want to support the Intercut Podcast, I want to remind you all about patreon.com slash intercutpod, where for as little as $1 a month, you can not only become a patron of the podcast, but get access to exclusive patron benefits, whether that's an early look at our episode outlines or exclusive Discord channels on the Intercut Discord, or even join our monthly hangouts and get to chat with me and Arturo. You can do all of that through signing up at patreon.com slash intercutpod. Your support means a lot, and we want to thank the Academy members, Andrew Christensen, Tushar Sharma, Ewan Graf, What's the Matter, and Awkward for their continued support of our show. Let's get back to the best movies of 2021 so far. Uh, getting into the really good movies here with the top 10, starting off with the documentary Some Kind of Heaven, Lance Oppenheim's look at the villages in Florida, just in exquisite, talking about exquisite cinematography and documentaries. This one is so uniquely shot. It just it simply does not look like pretty much any other documentary or movie, frankly, that I've seen. But it also gives you these really interesting profiles of these different people uh, sort of stuck in the purgatory of a paradise-like scenario. Mm -hmm. Art, Art, what do you think about Some Kind of Heaven? Lance Oppenheim is that dude. We also have our buddy Chase. He has actually, I think, been collaborating. Like He went down there to the actual villages and was filming with some of the people who were in the movie. So I I think he's working on some footage 
of the craziness that is down there. But it's interesting that it even got in there because, again, this is the story of this place in Florida where it is just senior citizens. Mm-hmm. And just the people that he's able to kind of learn about and, and seeing how they live there. Uh, I think he's a fascinating documentarian, especially when it comes to following people and how they live in their their habitats or how they're forced to these uh, certain places. He's got a bunch of shorts that I also recommend, so definitely go through his IMDb. Yeah. But yeah, this, this one's definitely one that feel, I'm hoping is still there halfway through the year. I feel like the documentary is is a little bit like... Because we in America are are familiar with these types of retirement communities and stuff, but it's a little bit like somebody going to a foreign country and filming, you know, this subculture that we have no idea about the way that that's the villages. (laughs) That's that's true too. That's Uh, that's true. It's also produced by Darren Aronofsky. So if you needed another stamp of approval, there it is. Yeah, if our cosign isn't enough, Darren Aronofsky's should be. Sticking with documentaries at number nine is MLK Very FBI. Nice. Sam Pollard's look at the the history between the FBI's sur- uh, surveillance of Martin Luther King Jr. Just a really comprehensive look at a fascinating subsection of history of you know two of these extremely fascinating figures in Martin Luther King Jr. and J. Edgar Hoover, uh, the battle between them in a way, uh, and obviously being, you know, (laughs) the ways in which J. Edgar Hoover is just uh, being ridiculous in his uh, overstepping of boundaries in order to pursue MLK based on these paranoid ideas. It's, It's a really... It's an extremely professionally well done documentary Mm -hmm. in terms of just giving you everything you feel like you want to know, right? Like this is the best version of telling this kind of story that I can imagine. Perfect use of archives. Uh, Just some of the best quotes, some of the best inserts. And like you said, just being able to put you in that period in time, not as a reflection, but like actually showing you the mindset of how people were viewing the scenario. And it's completely different than how we see it now. During that time, they, everything was reversed. <laughs> there was no Martin Luther King Day that was going to be happening mm-hmm. during that period in time. But yeah, I'd highly recommend this one. I don't, to put some other documentaries over here, because I believe that's the last documentary that we have on here. I believe. Uh, we got one more. Do we? All right, I'll save it. I'll save it till the next one. Oh, we do have one more. Ooh, okay. Sorry, my bad. Continue. No worries. No worries. At number eight, uh, another movie that I haven't caught yet. It's on Amazon uh, herself. Mm-hmm. A young mother who escapes her abusive husband and fights against a broken housing broken housing system. I believe this one is from Ireland. Yes. And this premiered two Sundances ago, so it's kind of been out there for a little bit but got a a small release on amazon art what did you think about herself i really enjoyed it i thought it was a very good movie about this uh this mom woman who after um you know not having housing the whole community comes together and that's like uh, been a really big thing that i've that we've been seeing come from ireland in the movies even south by southwest had a movie called uh the the one with andrea risborough i'm blinking here before has a little uh, undertones with that vivarium from last year all of these irish movies have have been carrying this undertone when dealing with the housing crisis that they have over there and my only big issue with this i know alina liked it a lot more and that's how it's this high on the list was the music with it 
I think the movie definitely carries that energy of, you know, being able to do something on your own with the community because the actress herself also wrote the movie. So there, there's definitely that, uh, that do it yourself type attitude that the movie carries as she builds the house herself. I thought it was a cute little movie. Definitely check it out on Prime if you're interested. But that music, the way that they mix in the score, I hope that got fixed by the time it got released on streaming. But nonetheless, pretty solid. Number seven is Pieces of a Woman. We talked about this in some detail earlier this year on Intercut, so you can head back to that discussion and see what we said. But, you know, uh, the latest movie from Cornel Mundrusco, I think, has what could be argued are maybe the most compelling 30 minutes of a movie so far this year in that opening. I mean, it reminds me almost of like the opening to the Robert Zemeckis Denzel Washington movie flight in that, like it just throws you into the sequence that right away you want to like grab the ends of your chair and, and you can't look, you, you can't breathe mm-hmm. in some ways. Uh, not, and not just uh, what is happening in the opening of that movie, but how it's executed. The, Pitch perfect performance from uh, Vanessa Kirby that earned her the Oscar nomination, the uh, delicate one shot cinematography that doesn't do anything really flashy, but just stays on that moment and and doesn't let you escape the tension. There's a lot of really good filmmaking in this movie. There's aspects of it that I didn't think worked quite as well. But yeah, you have to at least see that opening because it is it is stunning. stunning work. Incredible cast just all around. Like she got the nomination as well, but uh, supporting all around was fantastic. I did not expect uh, Eliza Schlesinger to be that good. I mean, take a Mm -hmm. comedian, put him in a drama and they'll surprise you. So I'm very curious to see how her acting career is going to go uh, from here. But I thought all around it was a very solid cast that uh, the movie yeah, had. Shia LaBeouf, Ellen Burstein, and again, just Benny a, Safdie, Sarah Snook, Oh my gosh, the Sa- there was a Safdie bro in here too. I forgot. <laughs> and now they're in the Star Wars universe too. And a Succession sibling. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely highly. Oh, Sarah Snook was in this. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty good movie. It's over on Netflix. Definitely check it out. Uh, and it's very personal to the re- um, the filmmaking duo because they're partners, the yeah. writer and the director. And I know it has some uh, personal possibly anecdotes that uh stuff that they went through so definitely check it out number six is a documentary that you highly recommended it's the highest ranking documentary on our list so far have you seen it it's apple tv plus's billy eilish the world's a little blurry an intimate look at the singer songwriter's journey haven't caught up with this one yet but yeah, uh, remind remind us why you liked it. I feel I haven't recommended it enough then at that point. Uh, Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry, is one, surprisingly, the only thing Apple has given us in a while in terms of movies. So for that alone, I'd say that uh, you they finally have a movie out. Yeah. And makes the it, less said about Cherry, the better. Like exactly, it's been three months. We're a quarter into the year, and this is the one good movie that they've given us. But even if it wasn't released on Apple. I think it is a fantastic documentary and inside look at, at her as an artist, at uh, their family as well. But then also what it means to not just be young and thrust into the celebrity age, but into the digital age, how she can see every criticism right away. Like this isn't an artist who two days later, you know, she'll, she'll read what they said about her. No, like the day her album drops, that Pitchfork review is out, right? The people, her fans, anyone who she's interacting with, they're, they're a 
how far away, you know, they're like, you just tweet at her, she's going to get every notification. You know, you see her following her DMs, you see her um, going through the ins, of, in, ins and outs of like barely being able to own a car and her, her freedom, all of the uh, intricacies when it comes to the business side of having to meet all of the uh, A&R people. It is interesting to see this be an Apple movie, considering Apple music and just the way Apple releases things. But nonetheless, I think R.J. Cutler did a good job in breaking it down. I'm curious to see you uh, watch it because I want to have a whole discussion on this new... It's it's not even new, but just the writing credits in documentaries I, I find to be very fascinating. Um, without spoiling an aspect of it, there is a really big relationship in the movie that dissolves. But I feel like one side of the story wasn't told. And that kind of goes back to the writing credit in where you are only seeing it from a certain perspective in order to be able to have that narrative that you want for. I don't want to call it a character because it's a documentary. But for that, it is also divided right down the middle, too, because there's an intermission. (laughs) It's long. (laughs) Yeah. There's something about uh, these documentaries about musicians or about famous people in general that are co-signed by the person who's in it in that to an extent they feel like promotional tools and I, I wonder how much of you know that feeling you're getting is the like, well that's agreed yeah. upon narrative you that know? too he claims he had full reign even though they were the ones who called him up he was filming them yeah. before the Grammys this is all before they moved out even of their home like these two were homeschooled obviously that's one of the big parts of the documentary is how she's creating music with her brother how it's her family who's there by her side everywhere that she travels in and i'm sure you can watch this movie and kind of see more negative lights in it but he claims that he had no oversight that he was this is his director's cut and damn it's pretty long i don't think anything got cut but I think I enjoy it because as much as you can definitely argue that it's very commercial, it also kind of seeps into some things that I really enjoyed seeing in the creative process and how uh, even as a family, they're worried about certain things that can happen to her with all this celebrity status. I mean, Vanity Fair, I believe, has that series with her that they definitely don't exploit on, all right, let's have you here four years ago and then we'll follow you up three years ago watching that video, that video. And they're kind of banking on how more depressed she gets seeing that smile from four years ago, diminish, diminish, yeah. diminish. So that is kind of weird. But I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a raw inside look at her right here at her beginnings. And it'll be interesting to follow up on her 10 years from now because I do think she's a good artist. And I know that a big part of it is like, oh, studio plant. Well, studio plants, if they still deliver, you know, at what point are they still making music that's reaching people? And um, I I think she's earned the recognition that she's gotten. And I think she made a really good or RJ Cutler made a really good documentary on her as a subject. Absolutely. All right. We'll get into our top five only bangers from here on out. Really excited to bring up the next one again. It's Test Pattern, uh, a movie that we definitely talked about at some point uh, because I think it's one of the more stunning movies we've gotten so far into this year. Following a couple whose relationship is put to the test after an incident, uh, I think this is a really fascinating uh, look at some of the little frustrations that come with seeking health care or, or seeking help, even even seeking, you know, like legal help mm-hmm. going through through those pathways. Uh, there's just so little justice found along the path in this story. And it's told with such humanity in following this couple through 
how all their little trials and tribulations here the the amount of empathy that is on display but in a realistic way that I think kind of is like a model for for other people I I, I was so moved by so much of what this movie is doing to me it, it's kind of like uh, gives you that feeling of never rarely, sometimes always with its intimacy, uh, but in a somewhat different direction. Really, really powerful stuff from uh, Shatara Michelle Ford, the writer-director. Really great acting from the cast here, Brittany S. Hall, Will Brill, Gail Bean. This, is to me, is one of the standouts of the year, and I'm, I'm hoping this is going to uh, stick around on some lists, at least at the halfway point, if not the end of 2020. I hope so. so yeah, Agree. Test pattern. 100%. Number four is a movie that you've been hyping up for a long time Beautiful. on this show. It may not have gotten the uh, nomination for Mexico's submission to the Academy Awards, but I know it's one in your heart. Identifying features about a mo mother traveling across Mexico in search of her son, whom authorities say died while traveling across the border to the United States. Uh, Art. Tell me again, what is so special about this movie? This is, uh, I believe, the first movie we caught at Sundance of that year for 2020. It, I know, won some Gotham Awards, so it did get some love from the from the more independent uh, circuits yep. award-wise. But I just thought it was a fascinating look at this mother trying, you know, her hardest to find her son, and just what happens when you have uh, not just a border story, but a story of. I don't want to spoil it. I feel like this is – I know we partly had a half discussion about this, but I think it's one of those mm -hmm. where uh, there's a lot of artsy movies that are out there. And I, I know this one's very slow-paced and it may not be for everybody, but I think it delivers on a lot of aspects that get lost in translation. I think the best factor of it would be the name itself, right? It's sin señas particulares, but in English it is the complete opposite. It's not non-identifying features. It's – identifying features and i think that may be one of the biggest things that's yeah. missed within here so it's kind of hard to describe what i really love about it without getting into spoilers because i feel that's part of the aspects that has been missed that that isn't really discussed and that's kind of like the point of the movie but um i don't know it, i love the journey that it takes you on and i think that it hits hard at the end that's what I will say about yeah. this movie. And I hope that some people give it a chance, even if it is at home, because I know it may be a little slow. I know there's a lot of just shots of Boca here and there, but I think it delivers on uh, the emotions of what a lot of people are going through. And yeah, I will say that. Definitely. Number three is The Father, about a man refusing all assistance from you his daughter. You finally got it. As he as he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances. Yeah. Um, I think we can bring hashtag let Zach see the father to an end. Cause I've seen the father and did it I, deliver I've seen this movie. I mean, it's number, you three. know what it did. It did. It, I, I was surprised with quite how much I liked this movie. Uh, a really, really interestingly told look at a man battling his own mind. There's, I think, something that was an obstacle for me going into this movie is that we've been getting more of these uh, dementia movies or Alzheimer movies. And, you know, a lot of them are, are very heavy and ask you to uh, ask you to really feel the the suffering and alienation of that uh, disease and that process. 
I think something that the father does that's really interesting is it kind of pulls a memento in a way where whereas most of these movies, I think, show you what the process looks like from the outside, shows you what the process might look like from the perspective of a loved one. The father flips it to really put you in the main character's shoes and show you what it must be like to not be able to trust the world around you. And and the the execution of it is done so fascinatingly because it's done in a way to give you just enough that you feel like you have like a toehold but not enough where you ever full feel like you fully uh know what's going on like they they one thing that i noticed is they show you more characters than they have characters names in in a way Mm -hmm. like just just in a way where you're constantly like is that that person or is that another person Mm -hmm. and I don't know. Uh, it's it's really effective. Uh, I think just on a filmmaking level, the the way it's able to keep you in this uh, perpetual state of of confusion is excellent. I, I I was really really surprised how effective this was as like a horror movie. You know, acting all around fantastic. Production art design absolutely incredible i think it is a solid script it is a movie that i think more people should have on their radar and i hope that i got a little bit more recognition because as i as i've been saying i still think that this is the best performance of the year uh from anthony hopkins and i also think olivia coleman did a really great job and uh i don't remember she got a nomination or not for it but uh yeah she got okay I don't want to mind her taking this one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, supporting actress is one of the uh, interesting Oscar ra- races right now. I think most people think that uh, Yoo Jung Yoon from Minari sure. is going to take it, but you know, a lot of people like Olivia Coleman. She has and one not so uh, not so long ago. So she wasn't that bad, was maybe she? She's got a shot. Yeah, uh, Anthony did pick up the BAFTA ahead of Chadwick Boseman, which a lot of people were were surprised by. Although it is kind of in the BAFTA's history to to recognize uh, somebody like Anthony Hopkins in, in that kind of a role, but you know, I still think Chadwick Boseman's ultimately going to win. Uh, I still think it's a shame that Delroy Lindo didn't get nominated, but. It's an excellent Anthony Hopkins performance. You know, I think uh, when, on the day of the Oscars, because so many people hadn't seen The Father, there was a lot of people who were like, this is our uh, random Oscar bait no, movie sir. that nobody's seen. No, and sir. we're just giving a nomination to Anthony Hopkins. And it's it's not the case at all. It is actually uh, one of the best movies out there nice. uh, in the Oscars bunch. Very good. At number two is our high, highest ranking foreign film. A uh, movie that we caught or you caught last year. Art, tell me more about True Mothers. Uh, we had the chance to catch this over at Chicago Fest from Naomi Kawase. I actually went back and saw a lot of her uh, older films. Like this woman oh, nice. recorded herself giving birth. Like <laughs> she has made some wild movies uh, and many of which were documentaries. So that explained one big aspect about this movie where you're following a couple who uh, they have a child, but a woman appears very young woman, and says that it may be hers. And from there, you get this story, not only on their relationship, but as, you know, as a mother, it's breaking down uh, from both of their perspectives, how they approach it, how they handle it. And that has been something that this director has covered, not only because she was raised by her grandmother, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, unless it was a great aunt, just that dynamic, something that she's always had in her career about maternity. And I think this movie uh, does a fantastic job, not only following 
their story, but the way that it switches up the filmmaking, that's why I said going back and following her filmography to see all the docs that she has done, that's why it feels so hybrid at a certain point in the movie where it switches a setting and it starts being like it's filmed in a way more intimate way than uh, it, it previously felt where it was a little bit more scripted. And I thought it was very effective. Uh, and then going back and seeing what she's worked on, I think definitely uh, pushed that forward. But I, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I'm very curious to see uh, what other people think about it. I know it's also based off of a novel. I have not been able to read that. So I don't know what has been switched from there. But um, I thought it was a very fascinating story. And it reminds me, uh, not too much, but a little bit of, I don't know if you remember the movie, also a foreign film called Like Father, Like Son. I thought that was a fantastic yeah. movie as well. I, I prefer that one over this one. But I know for Alina, like that one, this one got her on the mom side. For me, I guess it was the father's side over there with that movie that really resonated right. with me. Um, but I would definitely put this one on your radar. Very curious to see what people think about this one. Uh, once it gets, I feel like now the wider release is when it hits the streaming service. It's like once it hits the streaming service yeah. and it gets that wide release, uh, I'm curious to see what people think about it. Definitely. So, lot of good movies that have come out so far in 2021, but. Uh, I don't think it's much of a surprise, the movie that we put at number one, because we've been talking can about I, a can lot. I, can I do some honorable mentions? Yeah. Leave so the people waiting just a little bit sure. more for the movie that we've been talking about all the time. Yeah, but they may not know. Um, I think promising. I'll throw in some too. Dope. Promising a woman, I think, got a wider release or will we not be considering that? Yeah, it's technically a 2020, so I didn't put it on the list. Your comrades, but... would that be considered one? Maybe because I yeah, yeah it's, um, you know, these releases are so weird, dude. I I don't I don't really know how they work. Uh, another one that I would say is the Dissident was another doc that I know got released in January. You're not supposed to talk about that one, but it's a very good documentary that I'd say put on your radar along with Finding Ying Ying. Um, I don't know if Assassins got the release this year, right? I believe that also got the release. I think this year. yeah, I think it got a theatrical release last year, but maybe like a VOD release this year. Bro, we don't know anymore. <laughs> Yeah, like you know yeah uh but those are ones that i definitely think uh are worth the shout out um another smaller comedy i guess to add to the list would be baby done a movie that i know was released in vod a little earlier got the co-sign by taika watiti about a couple who you know I, I believe they're reaching the 30s if not already 30 and they're realizing okay gotta check that box baby done and fun little uh new zealand uh, comedy that I would mm. say put on your radar. Hopefully, it gets a bigger streaming release. Uh, and Saint Maud, I believe you caught Saint Maud. Yeah, I liked Saint Maud. Uh, interesting horror movie. You know, not necessarily one of my favorites. Uh, it, I think that's an A twenty four, and you know, I think you, just because it's A twenty four, you put it up against all these exactly. other uh, artistic A twenty four horror movies that we've gotten recently. It's solid though, I, and. Uh, Really good performance in the central role. And also shout out Minari for those who consider that a 2020 because I know it's got its release, uh, obviously. What else you got? It's tough, again, because like, I'm looking at my 2021 list and it's a lot of movies that you know? uh, haven't come out yet or, or whatever. Because like, we talked about uh, before we started that we can't put Shiva Baby on this list, even though it, it's out at Zach, the time we're recording this. But we're, we're talking we, the first three months. Zach, we cannot put Shiva Baby. We cannot recommend Shiva Baby. <laughs> On this list, okay? So we will not be recommending yeah. Shiva Baby out in virtual no, theaters. No one should see Shiva Baby based on our best movies of the first three months. List. No. That, that's not the reason you should see Shiva Baby. Gunda was another one that I thought, but Ooh. according to IMDb, its official release isn't until next week, even though I think it was part of that 
neon package. I don't really understand how any That's of this That's what works. I've been telling you. And I've been saying this for the longest time because I'm always getting hit with copyrights. And I've been telling you, I was like, I don't understand the system. And they won't let us know how the system works. Yes. There are a lot of movies yeah, that are getting yeah. released theatrically but or, or VOD, but not theatrically. You can rent it, but you can't buy mm-hmm. them. You can buy them, but you can't rent them. Uh, two two movies that we saw at uh, Sundance or, or yeah, uh, that have had a release, but smaller ones, uh, The World to Come, which I thought was a, a really sweet oh, period uh, romance. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, good performances in that one. And I think Violation is out on Shudder. That, Violation that one, uh, also really compelling, you know, retelling of this kind of revenge story. Um, so lots of good stuff that came out at some point Supernova, this year. that's I guess another one to add. Decent performances there as well. Uh, Sophie Jones, that was another solid one. Uh, de- also dealing with grief after the fact. So Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, eventually we'll get Zola and we'll get the Truffle Hunters. I don't think we have yet. Uh, Night of the Kings, I think we. I think that's out. That is I think out. It's available. It, it was available in the package. <sighs> I don't understand it. Anyway. Uh, lots of good stuff that's come out so far this year, or that will still come out this year. But should we tell? Should we get into the number one that everybody probably knows is our number one already? The only movie to have two lead actors. Let's go. Or sorry, two supporting actors. <laughs> two supporting <laughs> no actors lead. in the leads. Judas and the Black Messiah: The Story of Fred Hampton, Chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his fateful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. Uh, director Shaka King's a historical thriller that gives you a, a biopic in, within the story of this uh, FBI informant. It's like you know, a, it, it's partly biopic, partly departed. I think there. There are people who uh, have their issues with the film not being more about Fred Hampton and his politics, but I think that's like a misreading of the kind of movie this is trying to be. This mm-hmm. is this is a historical thriller. This is giving you, uh, you know, the 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 structure of an action movie within the bounds of history. And I think Shaka King does a really excellent job of balancing that, of giving you both, of of putting you in a time and a place, transporting you, informing you, but also creating enough of like a thrilling, um, you know, empathetic and entertaining ride that makes this just a dynamic watch with with really excellent uh, aspects to it the acting here is so so great particularly uh daniel kaluuya who is bound to win an oscar for this performance it seems like at this point uh we were blown away by this movie frankly out of sundance It, it was the top of our uh sundance rankings and remains the top of, I think, maybe all of our lists so far in 2021. So we're including this one as our 2021 top 10 of the year, technically, right? Because we can't really go and redo our top 10 of 2020, even though Nobody it is Nobody saw a, it in 2020. I know. That's true. We didn't even see it till a whole month into, literally right before the fest ended as well. So uh, now this is definitely one that you need to have on your radar. It was part of the release with HBO doing the theatrical thing while also being on, on HBO Max. I know that after like another month or two, it ends up being released on Voodoo and everything else for you to rent and eventually buy. And I think that this is one to definitely have on your radar. Like Zach said, it is not... You know, it says inspired by true events. It, the title is Judas and the Black Messiah, so it's not an in-depth look at uh, what's going on um, in terms of his entire history. I definitely do think he deserves an entire biopic in and of itself. Definitely deserves to <laughs> to have been done much better than what they did with him in Trial of the Chicago 7. 
but I think it hits at the emotions. I think that the, they had the family, the Hampton family there, not just, you know, uh, his partner, but his son, all adding to the story, um, making sure that they were doing it justice, how he was, you know, all the inflections on the speech and that. I think it is one of the best performances of the year, and I think it is a movie we're going to remember at the end of the decade. Absolutely. So Judas and the Black Messiah, if we haven't said it enough by now, definitely catch this movie. It is a standout from 2021. Uh, there's a reason that it's been doing so well. Uh, we, we're big fans of this movie. Definitely want to see even more from Shaka King in the future, too, because of this. So, yeah, those are our favorite movies from 2021 so far. Let us know if you uh, have any others that we missed from the first three months of this year and maybe what your favorite movie is so far into 2021. Try to keep it to 2021. I don't know. Like, it's tough. I don't care. Go for it. Give us movies from five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that, Someone's that like, have you seen Inception? What's the best movie that you saw? Even if you saw, like, uh, the new... If you Even if you saw... Uh, What's the shoot? The Screech Charm of the Bourgeoisie in the last week. Just tell Why us not? that yeah. you like that one. Too. Did you just That's catch fun. Wizard of Oz? Let us know down below. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this up with some picks for the week. A few recommendations for the people to watch at home. Art, do you have any picks for the week? Invincible, the series out on Amazon Prime. I yeah. believe they are four or five episodes in, and it is a pretty, pretty solid show. I would highly recommend the graphic novel as well. I believe. Uh, I think he completed it. I'm not sure. Robert Kirkman, same dude who did The Walking Dead. This is yeah. his take on the superhero genre, and I think it is a fantastic series, uh, both written. Have you caught all five episodes so far? If the last one was about that kingpin, stone cold dude, yes. then yes, I have. Yes. So I have a question for you as somebody who's read the What's comics, up? because I am enjoying time the show ago, so far. I'm like watching the show going, that's right. <laughs> is it? Is it? Does it? maintain this level of brutality throughout because it has a walking dead like uh pace with 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 which it will churn through supporting characters i believe i have gone through 60 70 percent of the series the graphic novel yeah and all of it i think lives up to it there are things that they have not touched upon yet that i cannot wait for people to experience and it's gonna be good i can see this running for three four seasons without it getting stale Let's say that. Yeah. It's a good series. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's cool because it is a little bit light and fluffy. It's kind of, it, it doesn't have this kind of cynical, um, it, almost like condescending aspect of the boys, which is something that I like about the boys, but I think it makes it very easy, easy to watch. And then it will get into these moments that are just unexpectedly a gut punch. And I'll just, I'll just be sitting there happily enjoying my super superhero cartoon and then suddenly your heart sinks you know like it's brutal uh, and I, I i yeah i really like that about the show it's it's surprising me in some ways i like the vo voice performances mm -hmm. a lot so I'm curious to see where uh, Invincible continues to go. You have any more? Uh, Two Distant Strangers, the short film that's nominated for an Oscar yeah! starring Joey Badass that is Let's out go. Uh, on Netflix pretty good Did you see the screener to uh, Tunde Johnson? Uh, no, I haven't. So Tunde Johnson kind of covers the exact uh, a similar scenario where it's this Groundhog Day type thing in where... Yeah. Uh, this is a movie that uh, was in South By, the obituary of Tunde Johnson. What you're talking was about. it? 
I think so. I know it was a new fest for sure. Um, anyways, both of the, the short and this feature, and even a YouTube video uh, that's called Black Groundhog Day, I believe, all cover the same story. You know, Joey Battis is leaving um, this apartment, and he keeps getting stopped by a cop. And the day continues to get played over and over. You caught it, right? I know I have. Oh, okay, so the day continues to play over and over and over again. And like, there's this connection that these two have, these two distant strangers. And, well, I'm very curious to... I recommend it. But I ain't yeah. overly love it because I think I've seen it done better. And that would be in the YouTube and video. Because, <laughs> again, this, yeah, has be- yet- this has become like a... I don't even want to call it... I mean, the Groundhog Day has become a genre in and of itself, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, you're going to see it be done in a lot of different ways. And like I said, there is a whole feature film version of it. I do believe the short is better than the feature film version, which is the obituary of Tunde Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love what Joey Badass brings to the performance. And I'm very curious to see him do more stuff because I've also seen ASAP. He's about to right. be on Netflix as well with the movie Monster. Uh, I think Joey may have some more that he brings to the table because there is some stuff that may get a little too cliche or like, ah, oh, it's that talking point. But he, like it is, but he almost kind of sells you on it. And that's why I want to say that like I, I, I do want to recommend it. Um, but I'm curious what people think about it. I want to say it's roughly 30 minutes long. Still rooting, still rooting for White Eye though. To win it. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely curious to check it out, especially now that it is available on Netflix. You know, for a while we weren't sure where it was going mm-hmm. to be available, but uh, it, it's able to be seen by a lot of people before the Oscars. Yes, sir. So that's a cool one. Uh, as far as my recommendation for pick of the week, uh, a couple things that I did not really expect to choose. First of all, uh, I'm going with City of Lies here. I, I don't is know. The Johnny Depp one? What? Yeah, this is the the Johnny Depp, Forrest Whitaker, uh, conspiracy thriller. Looking at the the murders of uh, Biggie and Tupac, or although more specifically the murder of Tupac, and the, these crazy theories about like who's actually behind it, the the LAPD being involved in the cover up and trying to dig to the bottom of it. Uh, it has the kind of like speculative wildness of a like discovery plus documentary. There's just whole sequent sections that are narrated by Johnny Depp's character as, as they show you archival footage and like different photos and try to recreate the scene. But I kind of enjoyed some of that conspiracy thriller aspect of it. You know, there's a lot of very weirdly expositional dialogue. And I don't know if I buy half of what the movie is selling, particularly uh, the dynamics between the characters feel weird, but there's still just a, a, a intoxicating nature to getting sucked into the conspiracy of it, particularly one that is so closely tied to something that I think any pop culture fan would find fascinating. The, the story around these murders. Okay. There's enough there that I kind of liked this movie. I, you know, I, I don't really like what Johnny Depp is doing in this movie or uh, whatever. But it, it's an enjoyable, it's an enjoyable ride for for. By the end, I found myself compelled, even as I was laughing at some of the things they were saying. So I'm seeing the director yeah. did uh, the Lincoln Lawyer. I thought that was decent movie this one has sat on the shelf for a little while i think they filmed this one back in 2017 maybe 18 
Uh, so it's been sitting around waiting for a release and uh, is kind of getting dumped here, but not half bad to, if okay. I'm telling the truth. All right. I will be sure yeah. to check this out. City of Lies, a story uncovering yeah. the Biggie Tupac case. Okay. I didn't even know that's what it was about. Yeah, something that I liked even a little bit more than that one is a, a new horror movie that is available on VOD now, uh, Honeydew. It, it's about a couple that is seeking shelter on, on a road trip. They uh, go camping, and then their car breaks down, and they happen upon the wrong house. Uh, it, it is one of those movies where there is something creepy happening, and they are reluctant to they, – they don't – quite leave right away and okay. stick around a little bit too long. Uh, I don't want to spoil what is happening because that's some of the fun is is finding out what's going on here. I do think the movie is is very good at giving you a really unsettled feeling. Uh, there's a lot of stuff they're doing with sound design in particular to just leave you uncomfortable, leave you guessing what's really happening. There, there's things they'll do where they'll play a vocal, uh, like a vocal note, and you'll feel like, is that what that person is saying? And then you'll realize it's just part of the score. Ooh. It does a lot of things really interestingly, uh, including some cutaways. Ultimately, I feel like a lot of the things they do are just being creepy for the sake of being creepy. I don't know if the story justifies it all, but I like the execution enough that I enjoyed a lot of aspects to this. I think there's a lot of just satisfyingly unsettling moments, uh, cuts that jar you in in a way that I, you know, wasn't wasn't expecting. The the writer director Devereaux Milburn. I'd be curious to see what else uh, they come up with in the future because there, there's some interesting stuff here. Even if maybe it is a little bit underwhelming by the end, and uh, I don't know if it all comes together. It's really creepy. Also, without spoiling it, this has one of the weirdest celebrity cameos I've ever seen in a movie. I am not underselling it here. Okay. There's a person who shows up, and I literally said, what the fuck? What the fuck? I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but please just go watch this movie. Don't go look at it uh, Look it up on IMDb. It doesn't have a good rating on IMDb anyway. Just trust me. Watch this movie <laughs> and at least wait for the cameo. <laughs> we'll do. Uh, and, and then lastly, I saw The Father. We, we just talked about I it. I told you, dude. But I recommend you watch The Father, too. I told it's, a, it's a movie you can rent. You. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at ZShevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V as in versus I-C-H. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me at LME Explain, rewatching the Billie Eilish doc for the umpteenth time, Twitter, Letterbox, all that good stuff for every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher, I Like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we run through the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the podcast every Monday, and please leave us a comment, like the videos, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that five-star review. Shout out to listeners in Ireland for putting us on the TV and film Ooh. podcast charts out there. Appreciate it. Like like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, all of them are at Intercut Pod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, that podcast is filling your head with garbage.
Bro, the City of Lies poster has Biggie Smalls in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's ugly. What's the movie about? I don't know. I never know. I didn't even realize that's Biggie in the back. 